0: The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at LifeHouseChurch.org. Well, we are certainly celebrating our next generation, our kids, our youth. Man, what, what an exciting time. We love having uh, just a moment a season to celebrate them. And I think one of the key questions you have right now in this season, regarding our younger kids, and something that's hard for them to really capture and gain perspective on is this. What happens next? What happens next in your life? What's going to happen next in our young people's life? And you know, the older you get, the more confident you become that you're going to make it through Whatever happens next, even if you don't know what happens next. But when you're young, you don't have the life experience to gain confidence that you're going to make it through whatever's coming next. And so, you know, we all kind of sit there at the edge of our seat in suspense, wondering if someone's going to, to make it, right? Like, so if one of your kids, they're up to bat, you're like, are they going to get the hit? Right? And so you're kind of waiting and wondering and you're not sure. And then if they do get the hit, how are they going to react? And if they don't, how are they going to react to failure? Are they going to finish the task on time? Or maybe for an adult who's got this heavy project kind of barreling down on them and, you know, this suspense, the feeling is, are they going to make it? Are you not? Are you going to finish on time? And, you know, I've got kids that are of driving age. And so I got, in fact, I got two of our kids, they're, they're driving, and uh, as a parent, and I know those of you, that are your parents, you got kids that are on the road, at least in the early years, I, I bet you have this feeling, are they gonna make it home safe, right? And, and so for me, I mean, this is like, it's, it, I, it's really a tension-filled time anytime they're on the road, because I just wanna know they're gonna be safe. And so suspense, fills our life, and I think the younger you are, the more suspenseful it is, because you have no context for what might happen next and if you're gonna get through it, but then as you get older, you begin to get maybe a little more confident that you're gonna get through whatever comes until it's somebody that you love that's trying to get through it, and then you're on the edge of your seat. It's, it's almost like like watching a movie. I feel like life is a lot like a movie, right? Like, you know how it starts, and you have like this general idea of how it's gonna end, but you have no idea what's gonna go on in the middle and you're not quite confident of how it ends. You go to a cemetery, every, every gravestone has something very familiar. It has the, the year of birth, the year of death, and that little dash in between. And you've heard it said before, but we all are living in the dash, in the in-between, in the middle. And because it's the middle, We're a little uncertain about what's going on. And then let me just throw this at you, right? And you're getting constantly fed a lot of suspenseful, frightening news stories. So just, I mean, right now, right? Like we're seeing the resurgence of like the Delta variant. And now all of a sudden all across, not only our nation, but across the globe, there's this like resurgence of COVID numbers. And as a result, you have different states and different regions and even different countries that are responding and locking back down and requiring masks and, and like it just it puts you on the edge of your seat, going, what's going to happen next? And this this week, the news was that uh, the current presidential administration was pulling all of our troops. Actually, over the last couple of weeks, pulling all of our troops out of Afghanistan after 20 years of being. It war or being in a war in Afghanistan. Thank you to all of our soldiers, all of our troops that have been fighting valiantly. We love you. We are so grateful for your sacrifice. Man, to those of you joining us at each of our campuses online. As a church, we love you. We are so grateful for your sacrifice. Some of you have given life and limb. Some of you have families have sacrificed, your sons, your daughters, your father, a mother, you know, people that we love, you love, and thank you. And after 20 years of being at war in Afghanistan, uh, we were told all of our troops were coming home. And then within a very short amount of time, uh uh-oh, that withdrawal is not going well. Now we're sending thousands of troops back Right, like it's got you on the edge of your seat. Like, I don't know what's gonna happen next. And as a result, when you read the news and you start seeing yourself in the news, right? Like, how is it gonna affect me and my life, right? Like this week, heard about a, a female police officer, Ella French, who was uh, murdered uh, in Chicago. Another police officer that was run over and dragged. And, shootings on the rise all across major cities in the United States of America and these are not things that any of us feel comfortable hearing nobody wants to hear that so how do we react to that and what it does is it kind of gets you on the edge of your seat now if you're if you're like me if you've seen a movie before maybe a particularly like an action-filled movie does the explosion still make you jump now for some of you you would say absolutely yes Right, like every time that killer guy with the mask jumps out from behind the wall, I mean, you've seen the movie like 10 times, and every time you scream in your bed, ah, ah, and you're like, I don't know, and you might even lean over and say it to your friend like, or your, your family, like, I don't know why that scares me every time. But it, if you're like me, if I've seen it multiple times, I, I basically like, not zone out, but I enjoy watching others. Like I, I like my kids being entertained, but as far as me, like, There's no more suspense because I know how the story's going to end. I know how it goes. And because I know how it's going to end and I know what's going to happen next, I I don't quite feel the suspense nor the fear that others would feel if they don't know what happens next. And so with that as a setup, I'm going to jump into... um, The book of Revelation, all right? Now, before I just jump in and start reading, let me give you a little bit of context for what's going on. But you know, the book of Revelation would scare most people. It's got, it's a story about the end of times. And so, you know, everybody's thinking like zombie apocalypse, but it's written by a guy named John, who is the last remaining of the disciples or the apostles of Jesus. He has lived through all of his friends being brutally murdered and martyred because of their faith in Jesus. And now he's an older man. He's been um, isolated and imprisoned on the island of Patmos. When I say that, I'm always having to remind everybody, like, don't forget, this is more like Alcatraz than Maui. All right, like this isn't, this isn't fun for him. He's, he's, he's on this island alone. And so one Sunday morning, he's up on the hillside of the mountain, it may be in a cave, and he has this vision where he meets Jesus and Jesus begins to show him what the end times will look like. And he writes it down and he leaves it for us in a book that becomes the last book of the Bible called the book of Revelation. Now for John, he, the book opens with these notes to seven different really important and prominent churches in that time. He writes these notes to challenge and encourage, because these churches feel like they're living in the end times, like this is it. Now, I know that some of you who've been around church for a while, you, you're, you've probably said recently, man, I feel like these are the, this is the end times. I feel like Jesus is gonna come back soon. Like this is. The, I feel like we're getting close to the end. And so you have a little taste of what these churches back then felt, because they were experiencing profound persecution And suffering and so the second church that John writes to he writes this so we're gonna jump into Revelation chapter 2 and I'm gonna start in verse 8 he goes like this to the angel of the church in Smyrna write these are the words of him who is the first and the last the one who died and came to life again now I like that he opens with this idea of I know you're all in suspense because you, you heard that Jesus died, but I, I, I got news for you. Uh, I know how the story ends. He, he came back to life. And then uh, Jesus is the beginning, but he's also the end. So for those of you that are in suspense, in the middle, Jesus is both how the story begins and it's, he's how the story ends. Now, let me give you a little background. Because um, he's writing this note. He goes, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? So Smyrna is uh, modern day Izmir, Turkey. Today, that's a city of about four and a half million people. In this time, it was still a a large city of about 100,000 people. Uh, And the church started in uh, what is modern day Izmir at the very infancy of Christianity. So as the message of Jesus began to spread across Asia Minor and Europe, this is one of the cities that got to you very quickly. And so there was probably a few house churches spread across the city of Smyrna. And this one was very personal for John. As John wrote these verses, this one jumped out to him. A little bit like I mentioned last week, talking about Ephesus, because John could have very possibly pastored the church of Ephesus. But this one, he trained the guy. He, he had a close, um, like, call him like a mentoree, a young man that he loved and he believed in, he trained him, and, he, and his name was Polycarp, and Polycarp becomes like a legendary figure in the area of Smyrna, in the city of Smyrna, because he, he begins to pastor there, and then eventually he becomes known as the Bishop of Smyrna. He's overseeing all of the churches in the region, and, and Polycarp becomes this like leading figure in that era of church history where eventually, now John did not live to see this. John knew that there was persecution in that time and that persecution continued for decades. I mean, year after year, decade after decade. And in the year 162 AD, uh, under the rule of Domitian, Uh, who's overseeing the Roman Empire, he sends in troops and they arrest Polycarp along with a lot of other Christians in Smyrna, along with other cities. They they arrest him, they they make false accusations against him, they have a mock trial, and then they sentence him to death. Again, this is in 162 AD. John did not live to to hear this or see this happen, but his words are an encouragement to Polycarp all those years later, and this is how his story ends. So Polycarp is arrested, tried, falsely accused, and sentenced to death. They bring him into the arena where all these thousands of people are gathered to watch his execution. They tie Polycarp to a a post. They put wood all around him. They're gonna burn him at the stake. And Domitian gives him one last opportunity of mercy, so long as he would just recant from his faith in Jesus. And loudly, with his arms tied to the post, he cries out and he says, "'Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me?' And with that, Domitian had them light the fire. And as the fire began to burn, it, those of you that are familiar with other, Bible, other biblical stories, you, you might think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. The fire didn't touch him. It didn't burn his clothes. He didn't have any smell of fire on him. The fire is burning, and Domitian is so outraged that he has the executioner go over there with his sword and stab him to death. And yes, he, he died from stab wounds, not from the fire. And even though Polycarp died, his faith lived on and his faith became an inspiration to others in Smyrna and all across the Roman empire who were believing in Jesus. And so now as I read the rest of these words, you kind of hold on like, this is, these were the words from Jesus that encouraged Polycarp and other Christians who were living in very tumultuous times, living in suspense. He writes this, I know your afflictions, in your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. You, you could quite, I almost feel like I could hear Polycarp quoting those words to himself as he's being tied to the, to the stake. Like he's like recounting the words of Jesus passed on through John's pen. He's reminding himself, you're gonna suffer even though you don't know what you're about to suffer. Don't lose heart, be faithful, even to the point of death, I will give you the life as your victor's crown. And, and so what's the point? In fact, on a grander scale, why is the book of Revelation even in the Bible? A book about the end times, a book about how the world and time will end? Well, here it is. It's not just for the church of Smyrna or other churches in that time, it's for us today. And and there are certainly key challenges from each of of these notes to these churches that apply to us today. Now, if you're not in the church or you're brand new to the church, you're like, well, good, I'm off the hook. Sure, but I think the principle might encourage you as well. And the key to the the church of Smyrna was this, live the in-between with fearless confidence. That dash, you can live the dash. You don't know what's gonna happen next, but whatever happens next, you can live with fearless confidence. But we don't live with fearless confidence. No, we live in fearful suspense. Why? Because we expect that it's gonna go from bad to worse. Faith is believing in God and good, that God can work good even in horrible circumstances. Fear is putting your faith in what can go wrong, that things will go from bad to worse. In fact, I, I wrote this down in my notes and I thought it was maybe helpful. Uh, Prayer is is putting words to your faith, interceding to a good God. Worry is the prayer of fear. Worry is the prayer of the unknown. When you're in suspense and you begin to worry, what you're doing is you're putting words to your fear. And why do we do that? Because we live in a broken world where you can look around, you can open the news, you begin to read, begin to watch, and you think to yourself, this is not the way it's supposed to be. That's right. We live in a broken world where things are not as they should be, but even worse, things in me are not as they should be. Why? Because the problems around us are are just a revelation or an image of what's going wrong in us which is that you and I are spiritually broken by sin. Sin is this spiritual sabotaging force that lives inside of every one of us. We were born with sin at work in us, setting us up for failure and ruin, and so we live our life expecting things to go from bad to worse, because we have this fearful suspense That sin wins in the end. And so I I know that it's going to hurt relationships. I know that it's going to hurt my life. And so I end up making decisions because of sin that sets me up for failure. That's not even the worst. The worst is that sin leads to death. Not physical death, or not just physical death, but a forever, an eternal judgment. That's the bad news. The good news is that Jesus showed up to intervene in every one of our stories. The story of the book of Revelation. The way the story begins and ends is Jesus. So I, I want you to notice, if you're, if you're a little intimidated by the book of Revelation or you're like, why, Patrick, why would you even talk about the book of Revelation? Because the story about the end of the world is a story about Jesus. Jesus is the beginning Jesus is the end. He is the first, he is the last. And so how do you get Jesus in your life as the beginning and the end of the story? And then he, he writes the dash through your life. He's with you in the middle. Well, God showed up in the middle of our sinful mess. He intervened in our life. Jesus took on our sin when he went to the cross and he died in our place. Jesus, when he died, he was paying for our eternal death sentence. So when he died, he died once for all. But as many of you know, Jesus not only died, but he rose from the dead on the third day. And in his resurrection, he conquered fear. He conquered the power of sin. He freed us from physical death because now we know that life doesn't end in death, but in forever life. So he gives us the promise of forever life. So we're forgiven and given new and forever life. That's why when John writes, he goes, Jesus is the first and the last the one who died and came back to life again. He goes, there's good news, there's hope. I know you're on the edge of your seat living in suspense, but I have good news for you. Jesus is the first, he's the last, he's the beginning, he's the end, he's the one who died and came back to life and you can live through him. So regardless of what's going on in your life or whatever you're afraid might happen next or what season you just came out of, I want you to know that Jesus is the answer. He is your hope. He is the one that gives you the strength in the in-between to live with fearless confidence. Maybe for you, the way you begin this new story in your life is putting your faith in Jesus. Can I encourage you, would you make that commitment? You can, you can just simply invite Jesus into your life. Ask God's spirit to come into your spirit. When he comes into your spirit, he forgives and gives new and forever life. And if you're making that commitment, right now, would you let us know? Text the name Jesus to 81411 and we'll send you some info just to give you some resources as you begin this new journey of relationship with God. Now, as I'm offering that, I'm, I'm reminded that the book of Revelation is written to churches. So really written to people who've already made that commitment. So now let me jump back in and challenge all of you who are part of the church. If you just made that commitment, man, welcome home. We're celebrating with you. Now you're part of the family of God. And now you can apply what John writes next to the church. And so let me encourage you. Here we go. We're going to jump back in. He, he says this. I'm going to read just uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer, he writes. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And, and it, it sounds a lot like the words of Jesus when he was walking the earth, and he wrote this in Matthew chapter 24, or or it's written in Matthew chapter 24, right, by Matthew, who was there to hear the words of Jesus' teaching, where Jesus said this. He was talking about the end times, and he says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. All right, now this is important. So I'm gonna give you, like this is like the practical side of how you live with fearless confidence. So how, how do you do that? So Jesus is saying, you're gonna turn on the news, you're gonna open up your newsfeed, and you're gonna to to read all these stories about shootings and bombings and wars, and then, and then peace, and then the resurgence of war. You're gonna hear about revolutions and uprising and protests and you know, all kinds of problems in the world around you. He goes, but see to it that you are not alarmed. And so the the challenge I want to give you, like John gave to the the church of Smyrna, is this. Fearless living means not being alarmed by what's going on in the in-between. You're born, you die, the in-between. So what's going on in the in-between, Jesus is challenging. Don't let what happens next alarm you. There's going to be some scary things that alarm you. There's going to be some frightening news. And so he's warning them. He goes, I'm giving you a heads up in advance. You're going to to hear about wars. You're going to hear about rumors of war. And and so I want to just kind of set this. I want want to set the record straight for all of you. So you're hearing it, not not so much from the church, but my job as a pastor, right? And and as a pastor, what that really means is like, you think about like sheep and a shepherd. My, My job is like, to protect, to care for, to provide resources to help you and, and almost like food to nourish you, right? And so if I think about this, like some of you have or, or, or maybe have had a wrong view of what will happen next. And so you keep hoping with bated breath that things are going to get better. And when they don't get better, you get more upset and more scared. All right, so I'm gonna just kind of tell you how the story goes, all right? Everything I read in the Bible, everything I read from the words and teachings of Jesus, the way I read the book of Revelation is that things are gonna get worse. Like it's gonna go from bad to worse. It's not going to get better. And any news about it getting better is just false hope. So some of you are like, wow, thanks. That's discouraging. Well, wait. It's only discouraging if you're putting your hope in the news cycle. It's only discouraging if your hope is in things turning around in this world, right? So Jesus is going, heads up, things around you are going to go from bad to worse. Like it's not going to get better, all right? The world around you is gonna get more and more chaotic. There's gonna be more issues, more problems. There's going to be wars. There's gonna be persecution. So Jesus goes like this. Don't be alarmed when it happens. All right, so this is my little confession story. Um, our family went on vacation and we did, we got, at one point we got a chance to go to a, like a theme park where you can like get on roller coasters. And I, I, I think I'm like a pretty adventurous, kind of crazy person. And so I don't mind, like pretty much my kids can talk me into doing just about anything. There are a few rides that when I've gotten on them, I'm like, whoa, that wasn't even fun. But here, here's the thing about me specifically. And all my kids have a different attitude about roller coasters. In fact, this year like my 6-year-old, he went on a first roller coaster, the one that like went upside down, he loved it. You know, I was doing. I was sitting next to him, and the whole time I've got my arm. I mean, I'm white knuckled. I'm. I've grabbed the bar, and I'm doing everything I can, like a dad. I'm going to hold him in in case that thing comes off. I'm keeping him in on the loop, right? Like, of course, it's ridiculous. The whole physics of this is horrible. Like, I'm not going to keep him in, but in my mind, if he goes, if, if if that thing breaks and he and it gets ready to pop out, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep my son in, right? So, but I do the same thing for me. So I get on roller coasters, and the ones I don't like are the lap bar ones. Because to me, like, that's not legit. Like, if it comes over my shoulder and they seatbelt that thing in and then they, they wrap rope around me, I'm good. Like, I totally relax. I'm like, this is so much fun. <laughs> like, I'm the dude with my, my arms up, if, if I'm on that ride. But the ones that like, it even just, it just comes over you, but there's no like strap, here's what I do. This is, this is literally how my brain thinks. So you're going up the thing, and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna die. <laughs> Like, I'm the one, like, you know, I, like, they have, like, the little, they have, like, the little computer screen, and, like, all the things turn green. I'm like, yeah, mine's, mine's red. <laughs> it says green, but I know it's red. And when we get up there, and then we shoot down, and we go over the first loop, I'm going to be the only dude that pops out. <laughs> and I know it. Like, I'm like, and so I have my moment with Jesus. I'm like, ah, right, I'm coming home. <sighs> I'm ready. Here I come. I mean, this isn't how I wanted to go, but here I come. And I just have, like, this picture of, like, me flying out. It's terrible, it's really, it's really terrible, right? And then when we hit that part, and, the, and the, if, if it was gonna open, that, that moment comes, and then it catches me. And I'm like, oh, I I didn't die. And then from that point on the ride, I have a great time. Soon as I know it's gonna catch me, I'm good. I think most of you are living your life like that. You, you have your faith in Jesus, But you're living like on the climb and then on the descent and you're letting the news cycle, right? Like, oh, we're pulling out of a war. Yay! We're going back. ah!" And you're like, you're and you're never getting this confident moment that God's got this. He's got you. He's holding you. He's firmly in control. Stop being alarmed by the news cycle. And so I, I want you to stop living the emotional roller coaster of the global and national news cycle. I want you to stop living this emotional and mental roller coaster ride of what is going on around you. God has got you in his firm grip, he is holding you secure. No matter what goes on around you, you are being held by the hands of God. And regardless of what happens next, Right, He goes like this, even to the point of death, I've got you. I'm the victor over death. If you suffer, I'm the God who overcomes suffering. You're in poverty, I make you rich. You don't have to be alarmed. You don't have to be scared out of your mind. You don't have to be shaken. You don't have to live on the defensive. You don't have to be running for your life. Live in confidence, live in hope, live with fearless confidence that God's got this. Now I wanna give you one more piece to make sure you don't miss this. And hopefully you can have something you can apply to your life today. The second part of Revelation chapter two, verse 10, where he's really driving the point, he goes like this. The devil will put some of you in prison and test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And so what's the point? Fearless living means standing firm in the in-between. So I said, don't be alarmed, now stand firm. Fearless living is standing firm in the in-between. It means holding your ground, not backing down, not running away, not giving up when you should be going harder. All right, what do, I, what do I mean? So in this, I read, he goes, you're gonna suffer persecution for 10 days. Now, we don't know if this is a literal 10 days or if he just meant like a brief, short amount of time. The point is this. He goes, whatever you're suffering, it's not gonna last forever. Whatever you're going through, this is not how your story ends. Even if it brings death physically, your story doesn't end in physical death because God's given you forever life. He goes, so no matter what you go through, stand Firm, which means you've got to endure, endure the suffering, endure the hardship. And then he gives a list of all the things that they went through. So he goes, they went through um, tribulation, or in this translation, it uses the word afflictions. And his point was this, that living in Smyrna was harder than living in a different city. Because some of you might think that your life right now is a little harder than other people's lives. Well, you can relate to the church of Smyrna. He goes, you, God will carry you through stand firm. If your life is just a little more challenging than other people's lives. He goes, some of you, those of you in Smyrna, you're going to suffer poverty, which means your faith is going to cost you something. It's going to be an expensive obedience to Jesus. He goes, you're going to experience persecution. You're gonna experience suffering, but not just life suffering, suffering specifically because of your faith in Jesus. He goes, and you're gonna experience slander, which means people are gonna lie about you. They're gonna post things about you. They're they're gonna say things that are just not true. They're gonna spread rumors about you to tear you down and make your faith look bad. Then he he says, and you're gonna experience death. But he goes, no matter what you go through, Stand firm. And so here's, I want to give you a couple thoughts. Fear, right, is putting your faith in what can go wrong. Faith is putting your fear, putting faith is putting your confidence or your hope in a God who does good. All right. When you are full of fear, you cannot be full of faith because fear, right, will rob you of that faith. So, When you are full of faith and you trust God, it drives out fear, which I talked about last week, right? And when you begin to live fearlessly, your faith lasts long, which means you are faithful. That's what he challenges them, be faithful to the end. Full of faith that keeps going no matter what. A scared world needs a fearless church. A scared world needs fearless Christians. A cowering world needs a courageous church. A falling world needs a church that stands firm. And so, your challenge, you keep going, doing what is right, keeping faithful in your fearlessness. What I mean by that is keep giving. When others say, man, I don't know why you're giving. There's, like, this thing is falling apart. Man, I, I've said over the years, we uh, respond to hell's greed with heaven's generosity. Man, when, when the whole thing, everybody's stealing and taking, I'm like, just keep giving. When others are being selfish, let's respond with selflessness. When others are looking out for themselves, let's serve. So my challenge to you is you Pray like everything depends on God. Let's serve and let's give and let's trust God with everything we've got. And what's the promise? What's the hope that you get? Here's how uh, the note to the church in Smyrna wraps up. He goes this, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the spirit is saying to the churches, right? So he goes, this isn't just to Smyrna. This is to everyone throughout church history. This is to us. The one who is victorious, the one who overcomes, will not be hurt at all by the second death. Meaning, when the end comes, you will not suffer in eternity. You might die in this life, but you will not die forever. There is hope. There is joy. There is strength. There is a purpose in your life. And so my challenge is like, let's, let's live this in between with fearless confidence, knowing that no matter what comes at us in the middle, he is the God of the middle. He is the God of the in between. He is the God of the dash. They like, he say he's not the God of the, of the dead, but the God of the living. He's the God of the in-between, and he will not only see you through, but he's giving you fearless confidence to live courageously for him, to serve God, serve his church, serve others. That's the challenge in the church of Smyrna. And so I wanna just take a moment, and I wanna encourage you. Can I pray over you? That God would give you fearless confidence regardless of what happens next. Jesus, we trust you. Jesus, we, we know that even though we don't know what happens next, you do. And you're gonna see us through. We're on this crazy roller coaster ride and we don't know what turn is gonna happen, but we know that you're holding us. And we know that a scared world needs a fearless church and fearless Christians. And so, God, would you make us fearless today? Not reckless, but fearless for you. In Jesus' name.